0: Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and fretting over impending matrescence. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. Today, you've got me, Rebecca Onion, a senior editor at Slate. So my daughter just had her sixth birthday. And I was thinking about how before I became a mother, um, I thought about it for about five years before going ahead and deciding to do it. And so in the course of that, I had a lot of conversations about it with friends who were parents, friends who weren't. I made a lot of Google documents. I wrote about my fears of division of, uh, around division of labor for Slate.com and other places. I made pro and con lists. I tried to talk to my husband about many, many possibilities, which he was mystified by, frankly. <laughs> One time I remember I was talking to a friend who was turned out to be the first one in our friend group to have kids, a totally lovely woman, a great mom, whose son also kept me up all night at one tightly packed house party, super overstimulated, crying about wanting iPad at like two in the morning. He is now a preteen and he's absolutely wonderful. Anyway, I ranted to this friend about all the things that I loved doing that I worried becoming a mom would take away from me. At that time, those things were like rock climbing, a lot of yoga, reading, watching very bloody TV that was not child friendly in any way, shape or form. And my sweet friend looked at me after I made this rant with her sweet eyes and said, you may lose all those things. But what about all the things you'll gain? I remember at the time I thought, I think that's profound, but I don't I don't I can't quite realize it. The vibe of that moment came back to me when I read NPR political reporter Danielle Kurtzleben's recent Substack entry, A Professional Lady Correspondent Stares Down Motherhood. I'm so glad to have Danielle here to talk through all the worries she's having about becoming a mom, what she describes so comprehensively and gorgeously in this edition of her newsletter. And when we return, we'll get right into it. Danielle Kurtzleben, welcome to The Waves. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So my first question is uh, maybe a little personal, but I think given what we're going to talk about today, I think I got to I gotta ask for context. When is this baby coming? And where are you now in the process of baby preparation?
1: Uh, it's very close. Uh, theoretically, the due date is sometime in early March. And so I am uh, just past the 35-week mark as we are recording right now. Uh, so real close and just in the home stretch of making a lot of decisions uh, I mean there's a the logistic side and the emotional side. and so uh, my partner and I he he is a lovely man named Neil. We've taken some classes, you know, this thing called baby boot camp that we did last weekend, which is way less intimidating than it sounded. We also took a breastfeeding class uh, not long ago. and honestly, all of that made a lot more room for me to feel emotionally ready because otherwise I had just been like, checklist, checklist, checklist. What can we get done? How much more do we have to do? What are we missing? And now that I feel like, A, I'm not going to totally fail at this, <laughs> and B, other people are equally clueless, which is honestly one of the biggest, the best parts of these classes is realizing that a lot of people have the same questions as you do. Um that has made a lot more room for me to feel excited instead of
0: terrified or just numb. Okay. So in this Substack, in this newsletter entry, um, you describe worries that are plaguing you or that were at the time. Um, and I found it interesting. It's a real mix. I recognize the mix very well. You've got some worries that are based on data, like about uh, gender gaps in pay and what happens to women in cis hetero partnerships after they have babies in terms of the workplace. And then you have some that feel like they're more based on vibes, like just sort of stuff you hear from parents of under fives about what what it's like, which is to me is the equivalent of like that night that my friend's toddler screamed all night (laughs) That, that probably put me off of having a child for two extra years. Which of these kinds of like pieces of evidence that you're using to sort of construct what you're imagining life might be like causes you more stress or or how does the different kinds of evidence impact you differently?
1: I think I would say both. But the more I think about it, I wonder if the data side impacts me more because I just a bit of background. A lot of my career in journalism was in economics and business, and I covered a lot, lot of gender wage gap, Uh, all sorts of wage gaps, quite honestly, gender, racial, et cetera, et cetera, in workplaces, but just the way that different people get treated in different workplaces and different industries, different uh, sectors, all of that. And then as a political reporter, I've reported quite a bit on how politicians talk about different industries, how female politicians get treated versus male politicians, et cetera. Um, So I feel like I have been marinating in oh, the world is a profoundly sexist, unfair place throughout my career, as well as my childhood, which we can get into later. And there's so much there. And so I think with that as a very (laughs) firm foundation of knowledge for me, looking at having a kid, it just really freaked me out. Because one thing we do know about the gender wage gap is that it is heavily, heavily, built on motherhood it is heavily caused by motherhood i should say and so i just thought to myself wow having a kid really holds women back and i mean you you've been in plenty of workplaces i imagine i have and i've seen plenty of workplaces that do not intend to be sexist but are and we know that in a lot of places however well intentioned women are promoted based on what they've done in the past Men are promoted based on more based on their potential, or, or at the very least, it seems like their potential is more readily seen by others, uh, including higher-ups. And so I just feared, like, my God, how much is a kid going to exacerbate this? And my, car- my career is clearly deeply important to me. It's something that I've worked incredibly hard to get to. So yes, there's all of that. But then on the vibe side, I... I have trouble deciding whether this is a function of me, of what my brain filters out and what I hear and what parents are saying. But it it did strike me that a lot of parents of quite young children come at you with a fair amount of negativity about, about parenting. And that's, I have never been a parent of a small child. It looks really, really hard. And so I do not doubt it. And I'm not slamming them but i it it's something that you don't hear in any other area of life with a kid yes you get congratulations but you also get oh you're never going to sleep a lot of that just really made me wonder like oh god how a- am i cut out for this i'm uh, it's possible i'm not i don't know and also that like I feel like there's so much I could say on this podcast that is just going to get me slammed or canceled or whatever. But just, like, I don't want to become a person who complains about my kids. I really don't. Um, Reaches out for help, yes. But, like, I I want this little dude to be a source of joy in my life. And I hope that he is, uh, despite whatever difficulties we have.
0: You know, especially in the post pandemic or whatever the, the pandemic the ongoing pandemic situation that we're in there has been like an exacerbation of this sort of uh negativity deciding whether or not to have a kid in the middle of that like it seems like a whole new level because i mean i'm you know way back as far back as uh 2013 or 14 my ex-colleague ruth graham who used to write write for us at Slate, um wrote a piece that was basically like i'm tired of like reading negativity online from parents, like it makes me never want to have a child. And then, you know, she went ahead and had a child and, you know, whatever has all the like sort of mixed experiences, mostly joyful. But so that, that was the situation already back then. And then during the pandemic, the negativity has had like an added urgency and like a political urgency to it. Like a feeling like not like idle complaining, but more like we just, we have to figure out new ways to convey how overworked we are and overextended. Um, and that, and I think that that has brought the discourse around it to a new height.
1: This is not merely me saying, like, God, parents complain too much. Because if there's one thing the pandemic, like, as if I, we, all of us didn't already know it, made it very clear that, no, it's not just there's a lot of negativity around parenting, which you may or may not disagree with. But wow, are we not terribly supportive of parents as a society, particularly moms.
0: There's a, There's a lot to worry about, you know? Another point I feel like is really hard to realize until you're actually doing it is that there are things that people complain about constantly that don't happen. And then the person that they don't happen to just doesn't say like, like, I feel like I'm going to curse myself by saying this, but, you know, we just have never really had a lot of sleep issues. And I am i don't say that, though. You know what I mean? No one wants to be the person who says that because then you're like the mom who says, wow, it's just surprising to me how many vegetables my child <laughs> likes. <laughs> Like negativity around parenting is much more like common currency, I feel like, than like the kind of blissed out, like maybe online with like influencers or something, that's like the sort of blissed out attitude is like more common. Um, But like in day to day life, when you're talking to other parents, negativity is like much more the vibe. But I wanted to know whether there's there have been other experiences in your life, because I think because I think about it, and I'm like, your your life is going to change no matter what, like, you know, whether or not you decide to have a child, like you'll someone might get sick or like someone might get in an accident or your parent might, you know, whatever things change in like ways that aren't always predictable and whatever. And I think part of the thing about being like a mid thirties person, which I was when I was having this like experience is you think to yourself, well, if I don't have a child, things will just continue on hunky dory. (laughs) And like, I'll continue to, you know, have this great group of friends that I go see movies with and, go on vacation and and I'll just do that until like the end of my career and then I'll retire or whatever. But, you know, aging changes people and things change and, you know, the world changes <laughs> no matter what. But if you have the privilege to have the choice about becoming a parent, it's a huge change, the choice for which you have made. And so I wonder whether there's other sort of um, like areas of your life where you've sort of like experienced this worry or whether this is this sort of pre- Pre-birth worry is particular to parenting.
1: I have done this with other life choices, but to a much smaller degree. This is probably going to be revealing of all sorts of my weird psychological peccadilloes, more than more than revealing about motherhood in general. So, I just got I got married in late twenty twenty one. So we. Got married and quite quickly got pregnant, which look total blessing. I totally recognize that. Um, but I, I had been single for so long that I had just started to identify myself as, oh, I am a single person. That is who I am. And when I started thinking of myself as a married person, uh, the the word wife in particular, I was like, God, what does that mean? Am I a wife? Am I? <laughs> what, what, how will that change me? And like, there, uh, logically, like, yes, you can do it however the hell you want. It's fine. And it did cause me to think a lot about, wow, how much does this person impact my life? How much, you know, in good ways, like I travel more now than I used to, but also I listen to some music that he likes and I, I definitely am very resistant to the idea of, oh, am I doing this because a man got me to do it? Am I doing this because like under the influence of someone else? You know, there's that whole thing of, I, I don't know about you, you know, when you're in college or high school and you sit around watching your boyfriend play video games because I just don't want to do that. <laughs> I didn't want to do that on a grand scale you know like i'm not enjoying this but i'm not paying attention to the fact that i'm not enjoying this to a lesser degree i kind of did this with political reporting like i never wanted to be a political reporter but then i mean the job opportunity opened up and i was i, I was like i'm i'm not not going to work at npr and so but i thought like am i a political reporter they always seemed like so hardcore and get up and go and full of jargon and i was like that's not me at all and so um it turns out I love it. So, I mean, yes, I have done this in other areas of life, and they have turned out fine. I feel like the video game example is a good one. I just don't want to – I just don't want my life consumed by a thing that I don't want to consume
0: it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that makes perfect sense. And I feel like I always kind of joke or whatever. I don't know if it's really a joke. It's kind of grim that the probably the experience of babysitting as an early teenager – Put me off of parenting for like a decade. I mean, you know, I had some experiences where I was being like asked to take care of a family of three kids for $2 an hour. You know, this is like, you know, New Hampshire in the early 1990s or whatever. <laughs> what bothered me the most about it was feeling like I couldn't wait for time to pass and just being like, oh, I just need to kill this time. Like, I just need to get to the point on the clock where I can go home and like be by myself. Like, I just need to be done. And I thought for a long time, that's what parenting is going to be like. The time that is precious to me will then become something to be abhorred, Um, which I think some people do experience it that way. And there are some times where it can be that way. But when you're a parent, you're a lot more in control (laughs) of like, (laughs) what choices you're making, like, like how you're arranging your days with the with the little guy. But anyway, yeah, but I recognize that feeling of being like, I just don't want to have no choice over how things are going to be.
1: Like to even sit and think about one thing, to like sit and, you know, write another essay or uh, go to a movie or, or, or sit and talk to my husband about God knows what. But and instead, you know, we're pl- meal planning and uh, looking at Junior's calendar and figuring out like, God, recently I saw a, um, just a wave of Twitter stuff about people, parents fretting about summer camp sign up. And I was like, oh, my God, this sounds cutthroat. <laughs> and like, look, I will I will do my damnedest to get the little guy into summer camp. I, it's, it's not that I'm not going to, but like, oh, this sounds this sounds like so much, so much more than I realized it was going to be. <laughs>
0: We're going to take a break here, but if you want to hear more from Danielle and myself on another topic, check out our Slate Plus segment, where today we're going to talk about Danielle's reporting on the fall of Roe while pregnant and how that's affected her experience. Please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no hitting the paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content for shows like this one. To learn more, go to slate.com thewavesplus. Welcome back to the waves. I really want to talk about cool and not cool moms, (laughs) and whether this whether being a mom is inherently uncool. Okay, so I I sense that this part of your newsletter may have been the part where you sort of wrote, sort of fearing pushback, and I wonder if you actually got pushback a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) About sort of worrying about your thoughts and your like mental life being taken over by motherhood. And you actually mentioned the book Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, which is very interesting to hear about because I read that book, but the concept that moms should sort of emphasize, like basically refuse to give up ground in their careers by whatever means necessary feels a little 2010s now, maybe very (laughs) pre-COVID. And not just because Sheryl Sandberg has kind of like lost her shine a little bit. I feel like the the appetite for advice from billionaire ladies on like how to lean in is like a little bit lower now than it might have been before. I, I sort of feel like it's like a little bit hustle culture. There's sort of like, not really a love for that idea anymore. But you, you seem to have been inspired by it. And I'm curious about sort of the relationship in your mind between what your relationship to your job might be once you have the baby. And Remaining cool, whatever you define that as. It's not that I have a hard and fast equation of like, if you're if you're not
1: doing everything you possibly can at your job, you're not cool. Like that—that's the definition of a cool. Like, by God, no. If you're talking nonstop, thinking nonstop about anything, you need to just take take a chill pill. It's it's not about necessarily about yes, give no ground at your job for me. It's more like maintaining your individuality um, to some degree. And I, I and this is something that. I know there's plenty of people who do not identify with their career as much as I do. And when I have talked to other moms about this, moms who do not identify with their jobs the way that I do, they they still have been like, oh, yeah. But I I, I know of one mom who, who I, I guess before she had kids worried, am I going to be funny after I have a kid? There, There's any number of things. Am, like you were saying, am I still going to be able to rock climb or do yoga? I mean, I used to do a lot of long distance running and like you know if you if i have to give that up entirely i mean i guess my joints are getting old but i mean still it's like oh god am, who am i if i'm not doing that who like just it, it it feels like this could very much create an existential crisis and i i wonder if mom stuff could rush into whatever holes there are i guess and, and take over so I feel like there's a lot of internalized misogyny here that we can get to. But, I mean, as far as lean in, I do want to yeah, say defend, this. Yeah, defend lean
0: in. I want to hear your defense. Okay. <laughs> in,
1: God, I I feel like such a horrible, boober general Xer, <laughs> second-wave, buzzkill, sellout. But, okay, just, I have been rereading that lately, independent of this essay. Um, because it's the 10th anniversary, and I've been thinking maybe I'd like to Write something about this, and when I read, I did read it when it first came out in 2013. When I was far removed from marriage or kids, and it blew my little mind. You know, <laughs> like, oh my god, the wow! There, there are so many ways to that I'm sabotaging myself in the workplace. That all of us women are. There are so many ways that bosses are being unfair to you that they don't realize and you don't realize, and I will say this. There are a million caveats. Like, first of all, Lean In focuses so heavily on the internal as opposed to the systemic. So it is quite possible, even likely, to read that book and go, wow, the reason I don't have the job I want is me, as opposed to, no, the reason you don't have the job you want is because of, the, like, sexism and just and boys clubs and all sorts of and lack of child care and all sorts of stuff. So th- that is all true. I do think it is very easy to discount that book at this point when so many of the lessons of it really are kind of in the water. Yes, sit at the table. Yes, maybe stop apologizing so much. These are things that I sense that younger women now understand maybe more innately than I did when I was younger, that it is fine to be a little more assertive that, yes, you can negotiate, you can ask for what you want and also especially uh get an equal partner because that seems so just fundamental if you're a partnered mom and you don't have to be but i mean if you have good help then by god of course stuff is easier so i think that those things are are just so fundamental to how a lot of working women think now that yeah i mean look the book has a million problems it ignores class it ignores race it ignores it ignores a lot like tr- trust trust me i am not saying this is the best book in the world but but there's still so many things in it that that still bear out today
0: what i sort of found a little bit thinking back on lean in 10 years out is like i'm like what if you just don't want to work that much what if you want uh, instead of your like mine to be 70% occupied by work, your mind to be 50% occupied by work and still be able to have like a happy financial life, basically. Like I feel like the lean in mode of operation, what I worry about a little bit is that kind of, your mind can be bright and vivid post maternity <laughs> in various ways. But if you don't wanna have to apply all of that to your work, I don't know. I, I don't know, how will you feel if you wake up in, uh, two years and think to yourself, yeah, I, I don't want to work that much.
1: I'll be surprised, but I, but, yeah, look, but I know. <laughs> but I'll be. I mean, look, we're getting kind of to the crux of it because the question is whether whether you, I, whoever has the choice of having the mental balance that they want to an extent. Clearly, I, you, no one's going to ignore their child <laughs> entirely. That's not that is certainly not what I. They won't let like, you. They won't right, let well, you. of course, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. We have never lived in a world where it has been the norm or even terribly acceptable. Like, it's still considered groundbreaking for the man to be the primary parent, right? And so you hear from all these moms who say that, of course, I'm defaulting here to heterosexual relationships, I realize. But moms who say that the daycare, the school calls them for everything as opposed to the dad. Classic Like, Yep. Yes, of course it is. And it sucks. It really sucks. And as long as we live in that world, that's that strikes me as a sort of shorthand for women are expected, understood to take on more of the parenting load, to have more of their brains and lives occupied by parenting. And so, yes, if I wake up a couple of years after having the little dude and, and I'm like, you know... I just want a mom more. Okay. But the fact that this has been imposed, that the brunt of this has been imposed on women so long leads me to think that this is, it is not necessarily a biological imperative that women are taking on the majority of parenting. It's that some choose it and that is great and that is wonderful. And some also just have it kind of pushed on them. And I have seen it. We've all seen it, and it may be true of many of our moms and grandmothers, for example. And I, it's just something that I want to resist unless I really want it.
0: But you know what? It also goes back to the question of like whether it's data that's making you afraid, or vibes, or your own actual situation. Do you know? Because it sounds like your partner's good.
1: Oh yeah, he's great.
0: Yeah, you hope you picked the, you hope you picked one who will like help you figure out how to have what you want or be happy.
1: I've thought about how I grew up a lot as a as a part of this conversation because I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere in Iowa, right? And it was a place where it was very, it was abundantly clear that the world revolved around men, right? Like I didn't know a single woman who was running a farm. It was all men. And then like farmer's wives who just did work. But kind of quietly <laughs> helped things run. It meant that the local economies revolved around men. It meant that households revolved around men. Women worked. Women actually got the health insurance for their families and kept things afloat. But the very land was structured around men's work. The towns were. And also, like, relatively conservative area. The pastors were mostly men. The d- Women were often, you know, not exclusively but often you know nurses and teachers and all of that and it clearly made me very sensitive <laughs> yeah. to to the fact that there are certain things that that men just kind of default to getting to be important and to like what they want to do is is kind of what goes and to, i want to be clear my parent my dad is a lovely uh, fair-thinking man who raised three very feminist daughters so you know i but I just think that I've talked to my sisters a lot about this as well. It is a way of growing up when you're when you grow up in a pretty man-centric place. It makes you really understand and really see it when the when the rest of the world does that. And the flip side, and I should acknowledge this here, is that I fully fully understand that this also may mean I have a lot of internalized misogyny about women's work, about momming, about is it inherently silly or unimportant to talk about your kids. Like uh, Intellectually, I know it's not, but I'm, I'm positive I have some mental hurdles to get over on that, and I'm not sure how how exactly I'll do it.
0: I really want to talk to you about this because I used to um, study like the history of childhood, childhood studies as an academic, and then after I became a parent, I started occasionally writing, usually for a Slate, about different things that arose in my child's and my life and kind of like... You know, delving into it sociologically, psychologically, developmentally, historically, and sort of just finding ways to be fascinated. And I sort of I hope that happens to you. Like I think the kinds of conversations that you overhear or participate in. Well, I will say also, they're still sometimes boring when you're a parent. Like, don't get me wrong, but I think that those conversations and the conversations you overhear before you're a parent about parenting and about children are like pretty superficial usually, or like pretty logistical, like kind of day to day. And then underneath it, there's this whole kind of weird world about like developing brains. And if you're interested in politics, like, you know, there's things that you could start reporting on that you might find stuff that's intellectually interesting about childhood that you don't know about now. That's my mo- my moment of cheer for you.
1: <laughs> I think you're right. I first of all, have had to like sit and have the very simple duh thought of, like, there's a reason people do this. There's not mass delusion, Danielle. People enjoy this. It's fine. Calm down. And a thing that I said in my essay also is that especially older parents of grown or near-grown kids just are are the biggest cheerleaders. Like, there are some older uh, reporters at NPR who I told them, and they're like, oh, oh, God, we're, we're so happy for you. It's the one thing in life that isn't overhyped. And, like, I what what i what i need a a boost they're the ones who i talk to but no i mean i think it's it's again i feel like i i feel like a little bit of a broken record but there there's so much here that's about choice right like what do i do i get to pick what i think about or not you know i am positive that watching someone learn how to read will be fascinating and joyful and just so proud and wonder so many feelings like i'm I'm positive that will be a thing I fully understand that there are people who are naturally drawn to and more interested in kids and are better with kids than I am because i'm I'm awkward and weird and like I I, I get I get that entirely I and, it, and part of it is, it really is like, also, I'm going to have to get over myself a little bit. I, I do, <laughs> I, I do understand this, um, but I, I just don't know, how, I don't know how it'll happen. But look, it's happened in other areas of my life. I, I am married and I did not turn into a husband lady, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not a trad wife, it turns out. And I, I became a political reporter and it turns out I am still me. So, I mean, as one of my friends put it to me, like, you know, Danielle, you're, Parenting is not a personality transplant. And like that's that's a very good point. It's just going to be all about finding the way to do parenting that my partner and I do it. I'm just not sure what that's going to look like. It's just going to look very different from how either of us grew up.
0: Yeah, I always think about it as like you're going to have like a new powerful force in your life and they're going to have a personality and they'll change you, but you'll change them and then the triangle of you will like change each other in different ways.
1: The best things in my life, I imagine this is true for a lot of people, are the things that you're not sure about when you make the decision. Like I, you, you don't, you never know if this relationship is going to work. You never know if this job, if you're going to like this job. And sometimes you get a job or you date a person that it turns out you <laughs> that is horrible for you. Um, but often it turns out just fine. And so I, I God willing that having a kid will turn out just fine.
0: Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the show and being willing to speak so openly about your fears and worries. And I feel like everything's going to be great for you.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for reassuring me. I
0: I really appreciate it. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. And The Waves will be back next week. Different host, different topic, same time and place. Thank you so much for being a Slate Plus member since you're a member, you get this weekly segment. And today, Danielle and I are going to talk about Danielle's reporting on the fall of Roe while pregnant. Danielle, let's start with a summary of the reporting that you did. You initially were going to go to Ukraine and report on the war. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I uh, had volunteered because that's just how going to Ukraine was working at NPR right at the start. Just, oh, God, who, who's covering this? Whoever can. You know, and is willing, then by, by God, you know, get out there. So I put up my hand, and then when I realized I was pregnant, I. It was sort of two things happened at once because Roe fell, if I'm getting the timing right, Roe fell just before I found out I was pregnant. So, first of all, Roe had happened, and I thought, like, well, I'm definitely reporting on this, but I can do both. I, I can do everything. <laughs> and then I and then i found out i was pregnant and i went oh well i this th- this cast things in a new light i had already had like a, some deep conversations with my partner about you know the about potential danger i would be in and then suddenly having a new small organism inside me that i would i could be putting in danger as well that you know that changed things and so I pulled out. But anyway, it it turns out I was spending I spent most of 2022 going to places like Kansas and uh, all sorts of other places with uh, fights over abortion rights and covering that. And that was that was my beat anyway. So, I mean, I was I was still (laughs) pretty busy and doing
0: a lot of work. First of all, how'd you plan for that? Like what like uh, what kinds of contingency plans did you put in place? Um. And second of all, if you want to say a little bit more about how your reporting on that was sort of like affected by your pregnancy, I'm curious about it.
1: So as far as contingency plans, I mean, that's – it it was tough. I mean, a a lot of it was prey um, because, you know, you're – the period when you're most worried about – I mean, to spell this out for listeners, because not everybody who I voice this to understood, and I get that – you are much more likely to miscarry early in a pregnancy. Also, as a uh, 39 year old, I, uh, now 40, but at the time 39, I had a much higher, a, a, a fair bit higher risk of miscarriage. But I didn't want to stop working, you know, as you may have gathered. And so I was going to states like Wisconsin. Uh, I was in Wisconsin quite a bit, which had a uh, quite old abortion ban take effect once uh Roe v Wade was overturned which I I mean clearly I was not going to seek out an abortion in Wisconsin but it could make getting a treating a miscarriage much 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 harder and it made some doctors much more reluctant to treat a miscarriage so that's the background if in case listeners need it so yeah i when i was hanging out in Wisconsin or Ohio or a state that had a ban i you know especially in those first 12 weeks i hadn't told my employer that i was uh that i was pregnant cuz like how You you just most people don't want to. And I get that. So I did a lot of kind of quietly asking, are there laws on, on this? How does this work? A lot of places don't know. I'm not sure how deep to get into this. I mean, I will say I will say that, you know, when I was in Milwaukee, I thought like I'm in Milwaukee. Chicago's not far away. If I miscarry, God forbid, I know where I'm going. Like, and that, that, that was very, that was very scary. Um, perhaps I was unduly worried, but I was worried, you know? Um, so I, I very much thought quite a bit about, uh, about that. But also, once I was able to tell my employer, I went to our union, uh, SAG-AFTRA, woo, good, uh, love you guys. And I asked a, a shop steward, hey, what, what happens if this happens while I'm reporting? Like, what? What 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 do we do? And they went out and they got me an answer. And it was like, yes, we will we will make sure that you get the care you need. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. So all's well that ends well. And also, you know, unionization is great as far as how it affected my reporting. Like, first of all, it made uh, it made my conversations with people a little bit deeper, you know, when someone would reference you know, feeling the magic of a baby growing inside of you, I would be like, "Yeah, I get that." And when someone would reference a hard pregnancy, I would be able to ask ask them maybe a little more deeply about it, like tell tell me about that, like how 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 did that feel? What 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 were your symptoms? How far along were you? I think I knew, like it was. It subtly changed my reporting, of course, but I mean, like it, it helped me just be better informed about what people were saying. There was. A, the attorney general in Wisconsin kept referencing the 20-week ultrasound in his stump speech, and I had just gotten mine, and I was like, "Oh, I understand. I understand what he's talking about. I get, I get why the 20-week ultrasound is important." Okay, and it, it, I mean, it just meant a little bit less that I had to look up and get. I, I understood things on a more visceral level, quite literally. The other thing, though, is that. I mean, knowing – having thought so much and felt so much about those laws about miscarriage, I – it it also just shaped my thinking about, wow, how prepared are states f- for all of this? How prepared our employers? How prepared – like, it, it really hammered home to me as if I didn't know already, but, like, how seismic and how many ripples – the overturning of Roe v. Wade would have, uh, regardless of whether you are pro or anti-abortion rights, like it's just the, there are so many consequences, is many some of them unintended, of that uh, ruling that are are and will just keep playing out, and that I think um, some policymakers just hadn't thought about, and we're
0: we're just going to be living in that world for a while. Thanks so much again, Danielle, for coming on the show. Oh, man, of course. And thanks again for being a Slate Plus member. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at, the waves at Slate.com.